Sound of Truth starts now. Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, as we seek to inform, inspire, and encourage you in your walk with Christ through engaging interviews of ordinary people in whom God is doing an extraordinary work. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited that you've chosen to join us. We have Neil Cole on the phone with us. Neil is from Long Beach, California, and he has been married for 37 years. He and his wife have three grown children and five grandchildren. Neil is known as an author and uh, I would say a missiologist, and his books have influenced me, and and I'm thrilled with his latest book, Pray. It's a book we've been reading as a family uh, during our breakfast devotions, and so I was really excited when I reached out to Neil and he agreed to come on the podcast. Neil, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be with you guys. One of the things we're trying to establish with this podcast with our guests is to ask them how they came to faith in Christ. Do you mind sharing just a short version of, of how you came to know the Lord? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I actually didn't grow up in a Christian home. I, I didn't even grow up in a non-Christian home. I grew up in a, uh anti-Christian home. Wow. My parents were very much against Christ and Christianity and... uh so um, when I was a small boy, uh, I was invited to Sunday school with another neighborhood kid. And my mom said, you can go, but don't you ever become a Jesus freak. And so um, when I went off to college, I became a Jesus freak. And it took me a whole year to tell my parents because I was so afraid mm-hmm. to let them down. Um, but when I did, my mom started watching me very closely. And within a few years, she gave her life to Christ. Mm-hmm. Um my father, on the other hand, his entire life, he passed away 10 years ago. He has been um, disapproval, disapproving of me as a Christian mm. and uh, disappointed in me as a Christian. Mm. Um, he was an artist, and I grew up in the, uh, Southern Cut in Los Angeles. Uh, I came to Christ because um, I realized that in high school, all my um, all the people that I enjoyed being with because they were nice were Christians and the people, the other people were all mean to each other. Mm. So I, uh, I was drawn to them as a friend first. And then someone took me up in the mountains for a retreat. And there I realized this is a creation. This is created and there is a God. And I knew that he was close at hand. I didn't accept Christ right away, but a year later I did. I came close to dying with a disease and um, thought maybe I better get my house in order and I gave my life to Christ and I had no idea how much that would change everything for me um, the reason I didn't become a Christian right away was um, I thought I, w- I didn't want to le- lead a boring life believe it or not mm-hmm. <laughs> my life has been anything but boring so uh, that was a complete misunderstanding it's funny so that I was you say that I a freshman at Cal State Long Beach when I became a Christian you were a freshman in college? Yeah. Gotcha. At that point in time, what did you think you were going to do in your life prior to coming to Christ? You went to college. Did you have a certain career in mind at that point? Yeah. I'm not sure it's any more logical than my first assumption about a boring life. But, um, yeah, I I always wanted to uh, play in the NBA. And uh, I also um, was going to be an artist. I, was, I got my first degree in art. And uh, that stuck with me. I'm still an artist. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know why. I just never made it to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 
did you go right into vocational ministry coming out of college? Yeah. Um, well, no, I actually illustrated a couple books, but yeah, I think my heart was to go into vocational ministry right right away. Um, I went off to seminary, and while I was in seminary, I, actually, my wife and I married before we had it. While we still had a year left in our undergraduate hmm. degree, um, then we, uh, I went off to seminary, got an MDiv. So I'm officially um, I got a Master's of Divinity, so I have mastered divinity. Um, <laughs> you, you and me both. <laughs> yeah, I am now officially a divine master. See, um, so I, after I got the degree, while I was getting the degree, I was a lifeguard for LA County beaches. I worked at Venice Beach and I enjoyed that. They wanted me to be that full time, but I had a choice between that or being a part-time pastor to collegiates at a large church, and I chose the pastoral one and resigned as a lifeguard. And that was the first vocational ministry step. I was there four or five years, and then I took a church that I was pastor of so um, for 10 years. Mm. And I was very much into missions and church planting from the very start, and uh, a guy named Bob Logan kind of noticed some of my writing uh, mm-hmm. articles and things like that. And he, he lived close by and we started working on a project together. And that was the first thing that got published. It was called Raising Leaders for the Harvest. Uh, we co-authored that. And one of the uh, parts of that was on life transformation groups. And so I wrote a book on life transformation groups called Cultivating Life for God. And that still to this day sells. And that was back in 1995. You largely have written on ecclesiology, doctrine of the church, and missiology, doctrine of missions, um, up to this point, if I'm correct, everything's kind of been in that genre, and at least to my knowledge, that's what I've been reading from you. And then you came up with this book, and it's it's kind of stepping out of what you usually write into general Christian living. Would that be an accurate assessment? Um, that's pretty close, yeah. There, it's, it's a different book than all my other books in more than just that way. Um, the last 10 years, I've been kind of um, uh, going through a learning process, and God's been directing me to change my audience. Mm-hmm. And so my audience is young people in their uh, 20s and early 30s. And uh, <laughs> I wrote uh, Rising Tides for that group and, and published it. And every, I, I was a part of a network of churches that I don't know, churches all over Southern California, and they're all in the, they're all millennials. Mm. And I wrote and published Rising Tides, and they all celebrated. They threw me a book party, but nobody actually read it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I realized that they don't like to read books. Uh, so if I'm going to write books, I have to make them shorter, mm-hmm. uh, more inspiring with mm-hmm. stories. And I, you'll notice Pray doesn't have any endnotes or footnotes. Mm. Um, they're just not interested in that and uh, it has to be practical so pray is my first real uh, swing at the bat where I felt like connected a little bit for that audience Um, because I think uh, I've spent a good couple decades writing to pastors and church leaders about church and I've just not found that I've really um, been able to accomplish all that I've wanted to happen. So um, God kind of 
led me down a path to redirect me to a different audience. And that's what Prey is written for. So it's very different than my, my other books, for sure. I think that one thing is also on the spiritual inner spiritual life, and also you could say uh, Ordinary Hero is, is that way. Okay, but, good, um, good clarification. Yeah. I have not read those two books. I've been, I've been that audience of, of pastors and church leaders that you've been writing to in terms of what I have read, which I have read Rising Tides, by the yeah. way. Uh, so I think you're off to a great start with Prey to accomplish that goal. I, I really enjoyed the book and benefit a lot from it. Family's benefiting from it right now. Um, Rick made an observation I want I want to share with you because I had shared with him what I felt the book was kind of a very entry level book, um, but also what I what I love about it is this is probably the first. And I've got tons of books on prayer, obviously in my study here. This was one of the first books on prayer where I didn't feel guilty about my prayer life. Instead, I felt motivated to pray. Right. It was, yes. So as I was, I was I'm reading through your book, and um, one of the things that it first reminded me of, and I thought it was just funny, and I was sharing this with Brett earlier, is um, the movie Fiddler, or well, I watched the movie, I know it was a play, but my musical. first- Musical. I'm sorry, musical, so you have to be even more- you know, Specific. Specific yeah. here. Um, the musical Fiddler on the Roof was brought to mind- because just the way I was reading through prayer in your book reminded me so much of Tevia in this book, or in the musical, in that the, the character Tevia has so many off-the-cuff conversations with God. It's as if he has this ongoing conversation with God that gets interrupted with his you know, everyday conversation with people, and then when they're not there, then he can continue his conversation with God which remind me so much of your book. And it also, you know, has always been a motivation motivation to me. Like that's the kind of prayer life that we should be having is we're always mindful of God, always considering him and picking up where we left off whenever, whenever we can. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love Fiddler on the Roof. So that's, that's great to hear. I never made that connection myself, but that's, uh, that's very, uh, uh, that's uplifting. Thank you. That was my intent. I didn't want, uh, there's plenty of books out there to make you feel guilty. Right. That's that's almost this whole genre. <laughs> you know, you have a whole shelf of books. I'm just, just if you want to feel guilty, go here. Right. And I think that 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 doesn't actually motivate you to pray. It motivates you to feel bad about not praying. And and those are two very different outcomes. Um, and some of those books are classics and great books, like you know, um, E.M. Bounds wrote some amazing books and. Mm-hmm. A.W. A- a- Tozer and others, and I, I don't want to put them down, but I, I just always I, I felt like, uh, actually, I think all my books, I'm trying to make the spiritual life accessible to all people, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what I thought prayer should be, that God doesn't want you to, uh, if my kids were always guilty every time they talked to me, I, I, I'd be doing something wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what God wants. I think he went out of his way to make access with him simple, easy, powerful, and uh, and enjoyable. And so that's why I, that was my attempt for prayer, for the book Pray. Well, it certainly has achieved, it, yeah. achieved that with me personally. That That is part of my—I'm more of a—I I say a lot to our people, I, it seems like most Christians are either geared more toward being word people and or or prayer people. And some people struggle with spending quality time in the word. Other people struggle with spending quality time in prayer. And I'm definitely a word guy that struggles mightily with spending quality time in prayer. And and so I have gone through so much guilt through the decades 
as a believer that doesn't pray enough. And and it does, like you said, it's almost like a cycle you get into of now I'm it, it demotivates me to pray because I'm so ashamed. Mm-hmm. And I have or your prayer yeah. becomes um, fo- focused on the wrong things. Yeah, you know, I'm only here to 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 get in the hours or, you know, to, to, to check the box as opposed to I'm being motivated because I'm excited to see my father or talk to, to talk to God. I'll yeah. say this, your book and got me excited. That, I, good, good. That's good to hear. I, I really think it should be something that is also not, not just relegated to a closet. Mm-hmm. We should take prayer out of the closet and, and make it a part of our everyday life and mm-hmm. conversations and work and eating and, Sleeping. Right. I mean, it's just not to diminish yeah, Jesus saying go into your closet, right? No, I there's a place for the for the closet. Um, I don't know if it's in the book or not, but I, I tend to have my my time of prayer. If we're going to devote a time for prayer, I do it in the in my hot tub <laughs> mm. at night because uh, my my knees are so bad from playing basketball for so much when I was a kid that mm. I can't I can't get on my knees on a hard floor. Mm-hmm. So I do Same here. That. Uh, in the hot tub and it's just a holy place now for me to go there i'm not taking anything away from that um but even that uh you know a lot of people talk about going into a closet and wearing the wood away from the on the wood floor with their knees and i'm talking about relaxing in a hot tub with god (laughs) right right that sounds less less (laughs) guilt-ridden you're you're motivating me even more to pray now right Go home today, honey. We need a hot tub. Yeah. There you go. It's 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 my the we'll name the hot tub the closet hot tub prayer machine. Yeah, you can write it off on your taxes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, see, While we still can write things off on taxes, the hot tub was not mentioned in your book, but you do mention you you spend a lot of time alone with the Lord, walking the dog. You know, or yeah. or you know, walking uh, just spending time walking with the Lord. Um, which hopefully is, an, again, another motivator for people who are just going out there. Just listen, this, this can be your time of prayer. It doesn't need to be this very formulaic or almost professional sort of thing. It can be, this is your way of life now with the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Neil, let me ask... Walking is about the only kind of exercise I could still do. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this question. I, I wrote down, I love the fact that you in your book write a prayer being more of an adventure with a loving father than a task or duty. How did, and do you, well, I guess I can say, do you feel like you've truly arrived at that in your life? And if you have, at what point and, and how did you get there? Hmm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in my youngest days as a follower of Christ, back when I was still a lifeguard, I would always, uh, take God with me on runs and things like that. And, that was the start of it. And so whenever I walk or run, it, I've just been programmed to think of, you know, I'm not alone when I do this. There's somebody beside me that I'm chatting with. And I think that's where it started. But I think, I really think that, you know, I tell stories about when I was a pastor of a church and, and how prayer made a difference. And those were, you know, phenomenal moments that happened, that, but they were not, regular patterns that I invested in constantly on purpose. They just happened because of, uh, you know, God's leading. So when I went off to plant churches and in the city, um, that was what got me really praying. 
that's an adventure all the time. Like mm-hmm. saying, come on, God, let's go take this place for Jesus and mm. let's just bring the kingdom of God here and let's go tear down this stronghold and let's bring life to these people. And so that and also my travels, because of my, my book, I've been blessed with the ability to travel all over the world to train people. And in the last 10 years, I rarely travel anywhere in the States. It's always overseas. And in doing so, I'm always on an adventure, and God's always with me. And we, we uh, you know, it's, a, it, it's something in, that's not in any of my books, but I do a whole lot of spiritual warfare when I travel. Mm. And uh, it's a, a lot of identifying where the enemy has headquarters and going right into the headquarters and shutting it down. <laughs> And that's a lot of uh, stuff that I do. It's very much an adventure. It's very much, uh, um, you just don't want to do that without having God on your side. And uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's become a, a habit of life to think this way, to look for where the enemy truly has uh, been for a long time, influencing people. And yeah, I remember the, when, when Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness, Satan presented to him all the cities of the world, and he said, all these are mine, and I will give them to you if you worship. Mm -hmm. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, who gave the cities of the world to Satan? Because it wasn't God. Mm. It was us. God gave us the world to rule, and Mm -hmm. we gave it to Satan, probably for, for, um, for power, sex, or money, or something, and and he's been ruling ever since. We can take it back just as he says we gave it to him. So mm. I, I look for places where that is, uh, you know, it's, for me, it's a lot more than a windmill I'm going after. It's, it's, a, it's a truly demonic mm-hmm. stronghold. And it's part of the adventure, and I do this all the time. So I, I think it's crazy that we live this Christian life thinking we have a mission and we're not even aware that there's an enemy who is there, who's right. been around from the beginning, and right. is very intelligent and crafty and powerful. Um, though all he really can do, uh, he, he as powerful as we think he is, he can't do anything unless we allow him to with our own will, our own choice. Mm-hmm. We surrender so the ground to the him. Book, we do. We surrender not just the ground to him, we surrender a lot to him. Yes. But he can't just take it. He can't just take our lives. He can't just mm-hmm. attack us physically. We have to allow it. And so I, I refer to that will in the book as our, our superpower. Mm. Uh, if we choose not to um, surrender to him, then, we, then he doesn't have that access. So I think that that's part of the adventure, and I just go around life um, doing battle. Yeah. So that's an, it is an adventure, yeah. Join us next week for part two of our interview with author Neil Cole. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with your friends. Thanks. The music is by Canon and is used with permission. This podcast is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2021.